Welcome to the Brain Fever Podcast. This is a story of Jackie Stebbins, who is a lawyer, a mother, a wife, and an autoimmune encephalitis survivor. She wishes to tell her story about her fight with autoimmune encephalitis and her recovery. Now, here are your hosts, Jackie Stebbins, and me, her husband, Sean Erickson. And welcome back to episode number two of the Brain Fever Podcast with me, Sean, and the star of the show, Miss Jackie Stebbins. Jackie M. Stebbins. I got a fever. No. Brain fever. No, brain fever. The only cure is more cowbell. No, that's actually more steroids for the brain fever. More steroids. That's the cure. Uh, Cowbell wouldn't do anything for you, but I'm not a doctor, as we've talked about in the first episode, so... Cowbells don't give you mustaches, though, so that's why I would prefer more cowbell. kind of wish I had a mustache. I wish I could grow facial hair. Yeah, because you're a boy. Girls don't say, I wish I had a better mustache. I'm glad you hope that you don't have a better mustache, though. Thank you. Yeah, it wasn't much fun. No. Well, uh, the uh, first episode, we just uh, briefly discussed uh, your onset of autoimmune encephalitis. And uh, like we said, it was very brief, very condensed. You want the full story by the book. I hate to say that like, you know, everyone's, but honestly, we tried to do the first podcast and it was very long. It was too long. It was like a book. So it's better to just write a book. And right now the book is titled The Lawyer Who Wasn't Crazy. You know, if it if it goes on tape, how much do you think it would cost to get Morgan Freeman to read it for mm. book on tape? Yeah, I should contact him. That's a good idea. Or maybe Hillary Clinton would read it for me. I mean, whatever. I mean, we can try to start a war chest and see what we yeah. can do, but we'll probably end up with that guy who was ice fishing alongside the river today. So Yeah, that'd be my luck. Yeah, probably. But he might be a better reader than me, so who knows? Uh, I, I guess on, on today's podcast you know we want to get into a few things um maybe get into a little more about the psych ward and what was that like for you because i know um it's not an everyday occurrence that a person thinks there's something wrong with themselves and they plead to their family to check themselves into a psych ward so you want to maybe talk a little bit about that because i know that's kind of one of the unbelievable things of this whole story was you just willingly wanting to go into the psych ward I wanted to go to the psych ward so bad for a few weeks, I would say. And that is a pretty strange thought that you are just so desperate and you think that your mental health is in such poor condition and that you are so sick because it's it's a sickness too that you just want to be hospitalized. And for me, it was just mostly, please, someone put me to sleep. We talked about in episode one of my sleep. The interruption began in the fall of 2017, and then it got very, very, very serious in the spring. All-nighters, many months. Long time to not sleep. So, I mean, that would drive anyone out of their minds. And then on top of that, you have the fact that my brain was inflamed, but we didn't know it. So I'm very tired. My brain is inflamed. I don't know this. And I beg few people like take me to the psychiatric ward. And no one did for a while because we just kept thinking like, It's just going to take some time. We need to let our medication kick in. At that point, we had went from, I think it was Seroquel with Ambien. We cut the Ambien. Once I started hallucinating, was very paranoid, was confused. I saw dead people. It was 
awful. And that is that's not a joke either. She she's not like saying the line from the movie I see dead people. She literally did. Yeah. I remember her telling me that. Yes. They were floating over me. Very scary and I would ask Sean if I was dying too. It was awful. So one of my best friends came and a few colleagues came to kind of help start tidying up my cases to take care of what was going on at the law firm. And one of my best girlfriends and Sean took me to the psychiatric ward. Well, you start in the ER. So we started at one of the hospitals in the ER. I don't I don't really remember anything that night. I remember leaving. It was really, really difficult. And I talk about that a lot in my book. Obviously, that's not something you think that it's going to happen every day, especially my life was so good. You know, I have this wonderful husband. I have these great little kids. And I had this wonderful law firm and this great partnership. And we were just doing such good things. So it's not like you just think that you are going to start crashing so hard that you end up in the psychiatric ward. So I don't remember a lot. I remember, you know, they screened me for drugs and alcohol and there was none of that in my system. And they, I think the medical reason was the insomnia and they let me into the psych ward. And I remember the big, big doors. I, they wheeled me up from the ER and I remember there were heavy doors and that's really all I remember except them taking my shoes That was like the worst because we laughed about my training injuries in the first episode. So I have chronic pain in my quadriceps from just years of running, biking, swimming, overdoing it. There we go. Years of overdoing it. I I was wondering if you were going to say it. So I have all this pain in my legs and my lower back. And a lot of it is because I'm flat footed. So I always, I'm like the runaway bride, but I was the runaway trial lawyer. I, I wear running shoes a lot with custom orthotics to help because I'm so flat footed and I overpronate and it just, it's hurt my legs. It's hurt my back. So they took my shoes away and I was like, Oh, so it was later that evening. It was a Monday. I hadn't even left work. Hadn't even been a week and was in psychiatric ward. And the way I explain it in my book, you don't get all the fun stuff on the podcast, Mr. Erickson. You have to wait a little for the book. I didn't say anything. I oh. was just... Okay. Well. Don't see this is what we're talking about, the inner fighting. It's going to be like VH1, like the real stories, like what behind scenes the behind the music. It's going to be behind the podcast. Pop-up and what, video. What, well, that was pop-up video. Totally dip, something different. But awesome. Stay on key Okay, here. stand track. Stand focus, Jackie. I just really want candy right now. I just wish someone would bring me some candy, but okay, that's not what we're doing. We're podcasting. So anyway, I'll put my hot tamale thoughts to to the side. So I get in. Oh, okay. Back to where I was at. In my book, I talk about there's like three ways for me to understand and describe the psych ward. One, there is my memory. It's very limited. And I later found out it was pretty skewed. The second way to remember is through a journal I kept. They wanted folks to keep journals. And I did. It was a little black and white composition notebook. Did my best. So I have a little bit of memories through journals. I kind of jogged a little memory. I did not touch that journal until it was the one-year anniversary in the psychiatric ward. I didn't want to look at it or see it or do anything but nearly burn it. But I saved it. I read it a year later. So it kind of jogged my memory a little bit. So there's the memories I have, you know, that kind of refreshed through my little journal. And then there's what really happened from the the medical records, which I got a little later after after a year, the year anniversary. So I'm just going to kind of keep it at my memory for the podcast. The staff there was all, they were amazing, very considerate, passionate people. I remember that I never felt like I was treated unfairly or poorly. They were just really, really good people that cared. The food was really good. Someone the other day asked me if I could eat, and they were dead serious, like, could you eat in the psych ward? 
yes, I could. And it was, I remember the food was great. Like they brought your food on trays and I'm pretty sure your tray was set down. I don't think you picked where you got to sit. So the first morning they told me like, you're going to get fed. I think it was like French toast and bacon the next morning. And then from there on, like I filled out a menu for my lunches and dinners. Like I do, I kind of remember that. And I drank decaf coffee three times a day because I, that was like something that my mom would do or she does. And I just was like so desperate for my family and just normalcy. So I remember I would order decaf coffee with lunch and dinner, which I've like never, ever done. Um, I kind of remember the ward being like a big circle with like branches. And I know I was confused as to where my room was at. I would like to venture back there someday because it's probably not as confusing as I remember it to be. And I had my own water bottle, a lot of toiletries. So I would carry my water bottle around and I would walk a lot. I would walk circles without my running shoes and my socks. I was the only one there dressed in street clothes, which I found out, I think, that night that I could stay in street clothes because I had voluntarily committed myself. And other folks that were there, you know, that were committed were in scrubs. And the next morning when I got up for breakfast, I, lo and behold, I was the only one in street clothes. I just was like, oh dear. I knew I was a little different. I was different for a lot of reasons in the psych ward. The first being that, you know, I shouldn't have been there. Yeah. But that's okay. In hindsight, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So I remember walking and it's there that I start to like look at the clock and it's like bouncing around and fuzzy. And I don't, I don't know if I could tell people that. And I know I struggled with the date because I remember thinking, okay, if Thursday and Friday were the 10th and 11th and I came in on a Monday, which is the 14th, what day is it today? Tuesday. Well, it would be the 15th. I could not get there. I could do 10, 11 or Thursday, Friday. I could do Monday was the 14th. Could not get to the next day. Somebody gave me a book to read. I tried to read it. I have no idea what it was called, what it was about. I have no idea what I could read, what I could comprehend. Not a clue. I tried to write in my journal. It's it's better than I thought in some ways. It's a little deep and a little tough in some other ways. Was, you can see how bad I was shaking. Mm-hmm. The shaking got way worse by the time I got into the psych ward. And it wasn't just my hands anymore. It was like turning into full body tremors. Yeah. I remember your legs having like a shake to them and different things afterwards. So it that definitely wasn't getting better. Yeah, my shaking really advanced at that time. Enough that, you know, obviously the providers commented on it. But again, that's kind of in the medical records in the journal. And some of that I... I want to leave so we can have a little excitement and suspense for the book. I guess I oh, can, go ahead. can we talk uh, because I know I, I just noticed this when when I uh, picked you up from the psych ward. Not that you say that about your spouse every day, but um, I did notice that you weren't really getting any better. But the one thing that you were like adamant about the the little activities, like you kept on talking about worksheets, and you felt you needed the worksheets, like that was going to really help you. Do you remember any of that in the site? Because that, that's all you wanted one afternoon. You wanted me to call back to the psych ward and ask if I could get some of those worksheets. You just were adamant about that. You wanted to work on them. Do wow. you remember? I don't, I don't know if you've ever told me that I asked really? you to call. Um, I don't. It's like I don't remember asking that or, or wanting those, but like I get it in a larger sense because in my work with family law, I worked with counselors a lot. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I had a good working knowledge of what counselors asked people to do, their patients, right? And, you know, I know people journaled a lot. And and then, of course, I'm in the psych ward and 
and they had, you know, um, advised that, you know, journaling was helpful. And we would, we would partake in groups. And I know they were led by like OTs, I think mostly occupational therapists. I don't, there might've been other credentials. I don't remember. There was like, almost like what I would call the equivalent of a middle school, like art room where there were crafts to do. So I kind of remember doing crafts, although I was shaking so badly, all I could do was color. And my coloring was terrible. I like remember it was so bad. And I tried to do two crafts, two little crosses where I wrote my kids' initials. One was pink, one was blue. They literally look like my seven-year-old did them. Mm-hmm. But I still have them. I'll save them forever. Because everything was just about my kids, my husband, my family. Like, I missed everyone. And I realized that I was at the darkest point in my life. And I thought it was all my own fault. That exacerbated in the psychiatric ward. That blew up. My self-blame, my self-deprecation. It was awful. I had a priest friend come in, which I talk a lot about in the book, what little I remember. It was not glamorous for me. I miss my kids so bad. I miss my husband. Like, it was... It was awful. It was a tough time. Yes. Because I thought I was there because I had worked myself to this. I had done this to myself. And unfortunately, that was kind of reaffirmed in the psychiatric ward. And I don't blame anyone by any means. This isn't a critique on anyone. But yeah, that was kind of reaffirmed. So I'm just trying to keep busy and do what I can. So yeah, I did some some crafts. But I, I you know, I remember the groups and I really <laughs> tried to partake because they encourage that. They want you to go to these groups and I kept thinking, like, okay, I'm here. Like, I have to get better. I have to work on myself. But deep down, it's like I knew I wasn't supposed to be there. I didn't look like anyone. I didn't act like anyone. And, and a friend of mine a while back, a, a lawyer friend, Chad, was like, well, Jackie, how many people in the psychiatric ward probably say that, right? Like, oh, I shouldn't be here. And that's, yeah. that's probably yeah. true. It's a fair point. But for me, I knew I didn't belong there. And I remember telling what I now know as a nurse practitioner. That was who I was seeing at the time. I hardly knew her name. I think there might have been a psychiatrist with her. I don't know, like, honestly. Well, I kind of do through the medical records. But I told her, like, I don't belong here. And I remember she said, yeah, that's kind of the problem. We don't have, like, a high-functioning and a low-functioning group. And I assumed that that was, you know, I'm a very well-educated person. I'm a trial lawyer. And I think I still had some wits about me. It was just really on and off. You'll speak more to that when I interview you. But yeah, I mean, so I told her, I don't, I don't belong here. I just remember, but I'm sobbing. I'm like all over the place. Oh yeah, it was bad. I was a train wreck. So that's kind of my memory. But I truly do believe that everyone was good to me. And I always say that because there's such a stigma with mental health. And it's, it's just so unfair to people who suffer with mental health. And I have withstood some kind of ugly comments from people that I think they know better, one of which was a doctor. And it's, you know, kind of this, oh, Jackie, it's great you're not crazy. And I really find that offensive because, yes, I'm, I'm not mentally ill. I never was. I had autoimmune encephalitis. But that, that doesn't excuse that comment because there are people who are mentally mm-hmm. ill and they suffer. And I, I sat with them. And I watch them and I know that I don't have the best memory, but I talk about things in the book that will stick with me for life and how I, I knew I was going to get better, though. I just thought, OK, I, I'm going to get back on track at work. I'm not going to be such a workaholic. Like, I'm going to go home to my kids. I will get better. But I knew some of the people around me, they weren't going to. Yeah. They were going to struggle for life. So I like to talk about the psychiatric ward. So it's not like some bad place or, you know, a young a kid when I was speaking the other day said yeah that's where crazy people go and I was like no 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 like let's talk about this 
this is a place for people who are sick and they're mentally ill. So I just feel like I want to do my part to erase some of that stigma because Mm -hmm. I have been there and a lot of people probably will never be there unless, you know, they have serious mental health issues. So I just want people to know that like the staff and the providers and everyone, they were so good to me and they were good people and they're very committed to helping others who are in who are having trouble in their lives, so much trouble that they've been committed. And when I spoke to this these junior high classes the other day, none of them knew what a psychiatric ward was. And we would talk about that being hospitalized for being sick, but that most people are there because they've been committed there by their doctor or maybe their family or a judge. So it's really a different place. And then my experience was a little different because I was voluntary. But yeah, um, one other thing, I guess, which is kind of strange. If you know me, I really did. I was pretty quiet. I kept to myself. Like there was something inside of me right away. That's like, you don't need to be the usual Jackie. You don't need to talk. You don't need to share your name. Like you don't know anyone here. This is a pretty different environment. So something kind of told me to keep to myself. And I mostly did. And that in and of itself is like very weird for me. Um, So it was just It was a very dark experience, and I can tell you that the night you left and Ashley left, and I was, you know, wheeled up to the psychiatric ward, and when I got to my room, like, that was the lowest point of my life, end all, be all, I guess the part that I could remember, because it obviously got worse with my disease, but then my mind wasn't along for the ride at that point, so that was the worst, worst night of my life. I think that'd be pretty hard to to conquer because I knew where I was at and I knew how bad I had gotten and I knew where I was going. It was pretty ugly. So yes, obviously, I mean, the psych ward, it's uh, definitely a different experience. I mean, it's not like a regular hospital stay, but a week or two later with the seizure, you had another hospital experience. This time it was St. A's because of your seizure, broken shoulder, didn't know about the broken vertebrae, but you're in there. I know you were in the hospital for your many injury surgeries, your shoulder, that's it. Actually. Oh, that's that it, actually. It yeah. just seems like there would be a lot more with you. I don't know why. <laughs> more that's clinic just, visits. What was your experience like in there? Because here you are presented to physicians and nurses with something that they've never possibly treated before. I mean, what, what was your experience at St. A's? I mean, was it, I mean, I know some of it's kind of, you don't remember a lot Not of it, much. but just from the things that you do remember, what are some good things, bad things? I guess I'll talk about two funny things because my stay in the psychiatric ward's super depressing. It's super sad to watch me do what I was doing and then land there. So St. Alexis, I'd been there twice before, but good memories. The birth of both of my children, and that was yes. it, right? <laughs> so some funny memories because I really don't remember a lot of the five days. I My memory doesn't even really pick up until I can't remember if it's day two or three. I go through all this in the book. I have very, very faint like just tiny glimmers of memory. It's like lights and like someone's voice. Some funny stories. Um, we alluded to this one in the first episode. It's like day two or three. I, I don't remember, whatever. It doesn't matter. So my whole family comes in and, and I wrote, this is one of my first big memories specifically because my older brother's there and he lives out of state. And it was just like, I remember kind of perking up being like, hey, Mike's here because my mom had been there. Sean had been there. So I can definitely picture my older brother And I can just sort of picture my dad and my little brother. And they're all, like in my mind, they're all standing in front of me kind of in a line. I don't know if it was this day or another day or whatever. But apparently, I needed a lot of reassurance in the hospital. Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that's Well, you didn't remember anything. And you wanted to know how you were in there and what 
Yeah. Right. And no, my short-term memory totally fried because my, I mean, the disease is very active at this point. I'm coming off a seizure. Apparently I would ask Sean and mom like constantly like the same things and get this reassurance. Okay. We're all sitting there apparently. And I say like, oh, okay. Um, so, so I had a seizure at home. Yep. Yep. Everyone's like, yep. Okay. And, um, so, and then, and then, and I came to the hospital. Yep. Yep. Jackie, you came to the hospital. Okay. And, and it, there was an ambulance, right? Yep. Yep. And then I managed to apparently say, oh, did I ride with? And I guess the look on my little brother's face was just priceless. I still remember his laugh, too. (laughs) And I'm sure it took everything in him. And I guess he looked at my mom with this, you know, face that was like, wow, she is really out of it. And I love that story because I just, I wish I could see David's face. I bet it was priceless. And I'm sure everyone was like, oh, poor Jackie. Yes, I did find out that like the ambulance drove me and I rode along. I have no recollection that you guys told me, but I think it's a super (laughs) funny story. Um, I could have just videoed this whole thing just to catch those funny moments. No, thanks. Because there would have been a lot of evil moments that I would not have wanted to see. Um, Another funny thing is, so I got a catheter the first day at least or two. I don't know. I I was bedridden because I would have fallen over and like smashed my face into the concrete. Like I was not good to walk or move. Like day three, whatever. I don't know. I got out of bed. I could. And I don't think no one was there. And all I remember was that I looked in the mirror. It was probably the first time I had looked in the mirror and like, weeks yeah who know i mean clearly i hadn't like done my hair went to work now in like two or three weeks and i looked in the mirror the first thing i noticed was like huh i have an extra earring well my mom had re-pierced one of my ears which is <laughs> <laughs> and literally like the first thing i noticed so what we think happened was when i had undergone the mri like two days before that you have to take off all your jewelry so I'm sure we took out all my earrings and I'm like short of breath tonight, pregnant lady over here. I'm sure mom took out all my earrings because I doubt I had that kind of dexterity and coordination at the time. And she must have put them back in and she re-pierced one of my ears. So so the thing is, do you feel pain with autoimmune encephalitis? Because to me, uh, uh, an ear hole that hasn't had an earring in it for how long do you think it was? Oh, like high school, high school or college. And she re-pierced that. Eh, must not have bothered me in the least. I'm, that's just... Given what I had going on, the least of my worries. I like remember finding out that someone had re-pierced my ear. And I think one of the last memories, it was I was going to be released. Except the painkillers were making me super nauseous. I was on so much pain medicine for my shoulder. So we had to switch that up and, I don't know, something else. And I stayed like another day. But I remember Dr. Vidara that I talked about being next to me. And I started to talk about Elton John. And of course, every time he came in, he quizzed me. Always about Elton John. And I hated it because every time he came in, he quizzed me. And he was like this wonderful doctor. I loved him, but I hated it because I knew I couldn't answer his questions. And mom said I would constantly look at her like, help me. And, and the doctors would be like, no, 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 nope, Jackie, you need to answer. And I couldn't, you know, it was awful. So it's like, I, oh, I didn't like it when they came in because they were always testing me cognitively. I'm sure the neurologist did a lot. I have zero memory of Dr. Heider, zero, like one tiny foggy one. Well, he was trying to check your eyes and you were falling asleep yeah, that's with awesome. light in your eyes. That's another funny story. And my mom had to like snap like, Jackie, Dr. Vidaro, I don't know. We were just talking about New York City <laughs> and the East Coast. And of course, I started on my love affair with Elton John. And I remember he's like, she is getting better like she's better today and that was just i don't know it was awesome those are some of my memories i everybody took great care of me i have a ton of stories of from the hospital like good bad and indifferent but gotta read the book 
Okay. Well, and of course, this wouldn't be a Jackie podcast without talking about one more hospital experience. As from there on, um, after St. A's, you know, we basically were just waiting for a call from Mayo Clinic. And finally, we got that. It would, what seemed like was forever. Eternity. I mean, even though we were like blasting you with steroids and everything, we just wanted to get down, make sure you're being treated right, that there's nothing, no more concerns, that I was pretty sure you didn't have to relearn a few, but we didn't know. And, we had and, no idea. and these None. were the experts down there that, that treat this, deal with this. And so uh, we finally get that call. Like I said, it felt like a month, but it re- in reality, it was just. A week and a half, wasn't it? Yeah, it's in my book. It's not as long as it felt. Yeah. It felt like it was just like waiting on me. Because we were waiting on it. And in even a short period of time, I think your mom went home to take care of Because she was up here for quite some time. She went back home, did some things. And every time like she would text her call, it'd be like, did you hear from Mayo? And right. we were just waiting for that call. And finally, we get it. And we go down there. And everyone, I mean, mainly everyone has talked about it being a good experience. All the great things down there. What was your reaction to be at mail mail was amazing um we went june 18th 18 19 20 21 four days it was tuesday to friday got there monday night my neurologists are amazing dr McEwen, dr zakiradu they were just they're brilliant and wonderful and yeah they're the experts you know they know autoimmune encephalitis and so we had a good first day with dr zakiradu and with mayo they have that awesome collaboration process and then dr McEwen came in and and yeah they they told me it was the devil that we were coming to understand it was autoimmune encephalitis so i'm seronegative and i think that's for all my autoimmune encephalitis listeners my ae peeps shout out holla um <laughs> Podcasting was such a bad idea. Embarrassment rings through my face. So sad. So to my AE people, they know this, and that's a big, like, that's a question. You know, that's like meeting at a cocktail party with trial lawyers asking, like, oh, you know, are you plaintiff's bar defense, right? This is big stuff Those parties are so fun. Stop it. What antibody do I have? Um, I was seronegative, (laughs) and we didn't know that until we got to Mayo. No, that doesn't mean I don't have one of the tricky antibodies. It just might mean that it was one that they don't even know about that they don't even know they're looking for but from what i read and understand mine's pretty synonymous with anti-nmdar anti-nmda receptor autoimmune encephalitis say that 10 times fast i've been dealing with this for two years and i still can't get that stuff straight right so um so yeah i was seronegative we found that out the first day and i freaked i'm just like (gasps) so i don't have autoimmune encephalitis and she was just like just calm down we're gonna talk you know so nope they said it was a very convincing case of autoimmune encephalitis we had a diagnosis i was screened up and down for cancer because for my ae nerds and actually some others that why they screen you for cancer is because sometimes people will have a tumor present cancer or benign when they find the autoimmune encephalitis and because of that tumor cancerous or benign it sets off your immune system, which kind of makes sense, right? So some people have what are called teratoma tumors. I, what My I favorite were, I just, I loved saying <laughs> it and writing it in the caring bridge, yeah. teratoma. You did not. Um, you made that up. That's what we're going to name our third child, too. <laughs> little, little teratoma. Little Elton John teratoma. People will have these tumors that, you know, your body's trying to attack, mistakenly attacks your brain. So I was screened up and down everything. Breast cancer, stomach cancer, pelvic everything i did a full body pet scan which came back negative which was really really good news that was the last day and nothing like having radioactive like dye in you that they tell you you have to flush twice after you use the bathroom 
I did not use our own hotel bathroom for the entire five days. He's actually I went in, not lying. I went down into the alley and was hoping I would not be sighted. It was just the last day, but yeah, I had to flush twice after. So it's like, oh, that's a lovely thought of like what you are Coming literally in, urinating clean the toilets out. with yeah, hazmat suits. With your urine. Much like our children's bathroom. With your, <laughs> your radioactive urine. So did the PET scan. It was all good. Mayo was an amazing experience. I've been there four times. It was four times over the course of a year. Everyone there down to the people who help you at the elevator bank. They're just the greatest people on earth. So I'm, I was very fortunate. I just had an amazing experience. But I'm going to share one funny story and then I think Sean has to. So we also <laughs> alluded to this in the first episode. It's like day two at Mayo. I'm still in the wheelchair because when they found the blood clots after I got out of the hospital, it was like game over. You're sitting still, which was awful because there was like nothing I could do except maybe take like a walk around the block. So that's why it felt like an eternity waiting for mail. I literally couldn't do anything. So Sean and mom are wheeling me in a wheelchair. I am a bit of a snag on a good day. I did not want to be. never noticed that. <laughs> that was the right answer. I did not want to be in a wheelchair and mom would like drive me into the elevator and she wouldn't like back me in. So I'd be staring at the wall and I'd like get my feet hit and I was just being a crap. You were, you were in a timeout. Yeah, secretly. I was. Maybe you don't remember that, but you needed some timeouts. I didn't like either one of you driving me. Neither one of you <laughs> earned a gold star from me. So anyway, so they wheel me over to do a blood draw. And at Mayo, if you understand the Mayo game, you get to the, I think it's the Charleston building. You get there at 6 a.m. The place technically doesn't even open till like 7.30, but they really kind of do it like 6.30. By about 6.05, there's a line. So we got there at like 5.58 a.m. Because I'm already on steroids. I'm an insomniac again. So I'm up all night at Mayo. So mom and Sean wheel me over. Sean gives me, I don't know. I'm sure I just sat there in the wheelchair or held a newspaper or whatever. Because I couldn't read at the time. My, my eyes were pretty out of focus. So I'm sitting there. We are the first in line. We are waiting for like the lights to turn on. And these people to, you know, get into their... Kind of like the the cubicles. The front desk people, yes. Yes, that was the word I was looking for. Thank you. There you go. So we're waiting for them. I am like first or second in line, whatever, third. It doesn't like we are right there. Yeah, I think there was second or third. Yeah, there were a few people in front of me, but apparently I wasn't paying attention. So all of a sudden it's like 630. The lights come on. Of course, I want to get my blood drawn so I can eat a little because otherwise I'm fasting. They're like, okay. Who's next? I hop out of my wheelchair and like sprint to this desk nearest me. And you know how you can just feel that you're doing something inappropriate, wrong or awkward? All the time. (laughs) I could just feel it. So I like turned around and everyone was staring at me. One lady in particular that I had literally just cut off, ran in front of. She was in line. Who was in a wheelchair and probably couldn't hop up. She was not. Yes, she she was. No, we're fighting over this later. She was totally standing. fight number seven. Because I remember like patting her arm as I went by being like, sorry. Yeah, I literally just cut the line, jumped out of a wheelchair and ran to the front desk and everyone stared at me. It was ridiculous. I was just. That was like day two um, at Mayo. But that's a good story. But Sean has a really funny story from it was November. Yeah, the second Mayo trip. Yes, right. And it so, was in the waiting room. Please regale us with these details. Well, and I'll probably be short on details. And I'm sure my wife will step right in and correct <laughs> me as always. Maybe I'll turn her microphone down here. We are second Mayo visit. And this one was a little more funny because a lot more funny things were happening. And, and there was a guy there with, I don't know, I'll say a loved one. He was very cranky. <laughs> and 
I was also shocked at the fact that I didn't know that members only jackets came in winter style. Either that or he used one heck of a tennis ball when he put it in the dryer because it was kind of puffy old school. Before all this happens, he's having a conversation with the person that he's there with. And I can't remember what was it. Very loudly throughout the entire waiting room talking about their friend or family member being busted for cocaine or something. (laughs) And they didn't know if they were out and, you know, talking about maybe getting together for Thanksgiving. (laughs) So right away, if you think you have some funny Thanksgivings, I would have loved to have been in that living room that year. But um, some of these older ladies, they love to douse on the perfume or body spray or whatever it is to preserve themselves. <laughs> and this one lady who walked in, I mean, it was just like pig pen at uh, Charlie Brown. I think you could literally see it coming off of her. And the smell was so strong. And I don't even know what it was. If it was Elizabeth Taylor it was or like, yeah, Liz some, Claiborne it almost kind of like something that was definitely out of date as well. Right. Very heavy that like my grandma it smelled like worn. the 1980s, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, eighties yeah, or nineties. I mean, yeah. it was pretty thick. It was. It would have. I bet you a million dollars. It came in a pink bottle. Well, you were lucky. You were wearing a mask at that time because your immune system was being yes. knocked down. I did not. I could still smell. As she walks by and completely fills the room, <laughs> this cranky members-only winter jacket wearing dude just yells as loud as he can. What the hell is that? Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, just completely. And I'm sorry for cursing. If you have children, maybe I'll cut that out. But he literally just made a huge deal and was telling us, like, you're going to have to crack a window in here. What are on, like, 18th floor? 18th floor. <laughs> There's no windows. Anywhere. And, and anywhere in the United States, if you're above level number two, windows don't open, buddy. So we're all stuck with this. <laughs> but he made a 10-minute ordeal about the smell. And I, I was too embarrassed to, like, turn around to see what that lady was. Oh, we prayed that she couldn't yeah. hear. But he was so he loud. Was so Very loud. outdoor voice. But we kept him. on running into him everywhere. <laughs> We were, we went for a walk. We were walking somewhere. Maybe. Dunkin' Donuts. Back when I could. Oh, still that's eat right. And there he was, sitting right there. up there, saddled up with his don't looking just upset at the world. Very angry. Angry. Still the members only winter jacket. And can someone confirm? Did members only make a winter jacket, or did he have that extra stuff? I mean, it, it, I never had one. Well, I might have when I was four, but I don't know. It's, yeah, he was he was rocking like some kind of frappuccino, looking so crabby. And we just died laughing oh, yeah. seeing him again the next and day. It's like I kept on running into him in the hallways, like when you were getting tests and stuff done. I mean, he was just all over. And I every single day, and I do not lie, every single day, I wonder where is he now? I know. What is he doing? Is he you know, did someone like I don't know. He wasn't sick. It was it was his, yeah, wife, it was his or, wife or girlfriend or, or sister, yeah, whoever he was with. She was like talking about her illnesses and like pushing a wheelchair, but she never sat in it. It was just they had such an interesting dynamic that it was hard. I mean, we weren't staring like they were making it abundantly clear, very loud. The drugs, like the diabetes, whatever we were talking about. But you missed the best part when he was like, oh, my God, I would rather smell someone's farts. And that's right. I was yeah under my mask. I'm sitting there like trying to read a book. I am literally crying. I'm laughing so hard. It was the best (laughs) waiting. And we have a lot of male waiting room stories, but it was the best one. And I think if that's one thing we can kind of end this with and and leave people with. And I attribute all this to my husband. I really do. You got to keep the humor. Right. And we're going to talk about recovery later. And I get that a lot. Like I just. When people tell me they think I'm resilient, that's just an unbelievable compliment to me and I appreciate it because you 
oh man recovery is so hard and it's something i'll do my whole life right like this is not one and done like oh i'm recovered like i will always be recovering from autoimmune encephalitis i guess as far as i'm concerned some people recover better some recover worse you know it's just this awful process but you have got to keep humor and i think sean did a wonderful thing he he ran my caring bridge like i woke up to a caring bridge page a gofundme page the whole world on no sort of on notice of like Jackie had this nervous breakdown or her brain's sick. I mean, people hardly even knew, but word was flying that like Jackie's very sick, probably going to die or she's never going to be the same. Right. I wake up to all this. So Sean, in an attempt to keep everybody posted kind of in one spot, starts caring bridge page. And he just, he was really funny and witty. And I think that was one of the nicest compliments we got over and over. Like, thank you both for sharing humor, you know, because the, (laughs) the alternative would be to like cry. If you can cry in your writing, that's what we would have done. Right. To be just like these depressed, sad, devastated people. But Sean really kept the humor and we both still try to. Oh yeah. Whether inappropriate or not, sometimes whatever we do it, we try to laugh and you just got to keep the humor in these awful situations. So an old man wearing a really funny jacket just yelling so inappropriately and rudely at this poor woman who probably loved her perfume. I mean, you got to laugh at She that. really loved it. I mean, by the smell of it, I think she bathed in it because it was bad. <laughs> I mean, you could smell her before she was coming. Yeah, she was left awful. her scent afterwards. And let's just start with, it's probably not the best thing to do when you're on like the floor of like neurology because there's a lot of sensitive autoimmune things and some of those are smells. Yeah. And well, why we were, we were in endocrinology. Was we? Oh, yeah, I think that was, was we? there. I think that <laughs> was we, was, we, we got to stop doing these <laughs> things at night. We was there. Mm. Um, I know I'm close. I want sleep and candy because I'm always very tired, especially um, at like seven thirty at night. <laughs> I'm very tired. I think if we taught anyone anything tonight, let's see, we talked about being checked into the psychiatric ward, funny Elton John stories in the hospital. Actually, there really weren't any funny Elton John. I just want to no, say Elton John. No, you just want to say Elton John. Any chance? And some funny Mayo stories. But I don't know if, if anybody gleaned anything from that. Wonderful. Like, then we've served our purpose. Always remember that we're not here to give advice. We're just here to be kind of funny and humorous and informative. And if you have anything to tell me, please shoot me an email, jms at jmstebbins.com or look me up on Facebook, jmstebbins or Jackie Stebbins. You can find Sean, Sean Erithson. And with that, I need my cowbell to get oh, rid of my brain see. fever. And she still doesn't know how to end no. a show. No, it's I don't. ridiculous. So yes, uh, I mean, all of this, of course, uh, just trying to bring awareness to this Saturday. What is it? World Encephalitis Day. And what hashtag, are we doing? Hashtag Red for Wed. We have a brain walk at the YMCA, Bismarck, North Dakota, 9 a.m. Be there. It's where we get a leash and we all walk our brains. <laughs> get <laughs> that, that image out of your head. Joke you've well, ever it's made. a dad joke. All it's missing is a fanny pack, which you have, by the way, and New Balance shoes, which I have, just I not the all white ones. I asked for a fanny pack for Christmas and you gave it to me. Thank you. Yeah. Then I found out you wanted the ugly multicolored one. Yeah. So, yes, it's all bringing awareness and uh, just through many threads and, and, and social online groups, uh, a lot of people are struggling with autoimmune encephalitis and, and this beast is just weird. It's all different for everyone. And there are a lot of questions about recovering. We'll get to some of that as well. And, and right now we're just uh, spreading awareness this week. So let's just uh, say to those folks out there that are still struggling with autoimmune encephalitis whether that's trying to beat this thing if the steroids aren't working or if you're in recovery it's we're all thinking about you it's not the best thing to go through but there is a a large group no matter how rare it is that someone is going through something so yes and i say god bless you you can do it you're gonna dig deep some days 
but just keep the faith, keep the humor, and hashtag step and strong. You can do it. With that, I guess we'll take a break, maybe get some sleep, because by the way that we're acting here tonight, I think we obviously need it. And we'll try another one tomorrow. So um, there we go. Now I don't even know how to end a show. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.